The following Knowledge at Warden podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. Thank you for joining us for this Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Peter Bowman, your host for this episode, along with Editor-in-Chief Makul Pandya. After 17 consecutive interest rate hikes, the Federal Reserve has decided on August 8th not to raise the federal funds rate. Joining us to discuss this recent decision is Dr. Jeremy Siegel, Professor of Finance here at Wharton. Professor, thank you so much for being here. Well, after two years, the Federal Reserve Committee has decided in a 9-to-1 vote to leave the federal funds rate unchanged at 5.25%. In your estimation, was that a prudent decision? Yes, uh, that was the right decision. After last Friday's employment report showed considerable softness, uh, the market moved to the expectation that the Fed would pause. Um, it's, it's very important in central banking that you meet the expectation of the market. If Bernanke had thought that the market uh, was incorrect in coming to the conclusion that would be no rate increase uh, today – he would have had to guided it uh, to that uh, decision by uh, some announcement or speech, uh, let's say, uh, on Monday uh, or over the weekend. Uh, when he didn't do that, it means that he agreed with the assessment of the market. And so as a result, it, it, it was not a surprise. I think it's the right thing to do. The economy is slowing down. Um, inflation um, uh, is still there, but this slowdown should have the effect of moderating a lot of that inflation. Talk about the short-term versus the long-term effects. I, I understand sometimes it takes almost a year for interest rate hikes or the, even the decision itself to really take full effect on the economy. Yeah. But are there short-term implications? Yeah, you know, we always, when I learned macroeconomics, I always talked about long and variable lags. That's what Milton Friedman used to talk about in terms of the effect of monetary policy. Uh, on output, we often thought of a year year and a half on prices, sometimes even even longer uh, than that. And when you take a look at the statement that the Fed released, it, it twice mentioned the, the cumulative effect of, of the increase. Um, uh, it, it doesn't, we moved to five and a quarter percent, but uh, it's going to take many months for that to, to, to bite into the economy. It's already beginning to bite into the economy. There, so in other words, Bernanke and the Fed are very cognizant of the cumulative effect. They don't want to overdo it. They want to let the monetary policy work its way through, see if that controls inflation. And then, of course, if it does not, uh, they would have to move uh, later this year. Right. The market's reaction immediately was stocks started to rally. Is that- immediately, but then it's interesting. Uh, they, they fell, uh, actually ending down on the day. I think uh, the, the reason for that was that most people expected the pause, so it was sort of built into the, 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 uh, the price uh, earlier today. Uh, and when they got what they expect, they say, all right, what else is there? And they did see that the warnings of inflation and the risk of inflation are still there, which kept the door open, as, of course, Bernanke had to do, that they may raise in the future. So, you know, when they looked at the whole thing, both on the bond market, uh, bond and stocks rallied immediately. And then when they looked at it, they said, well, long term, it's not going to change things that much. And uh, and it actually fell back. Actually, the same thing happened also on, on the dollar, on the foreign exchange market market. So, uh, you know, net on the day, there isn't really that much change. Meeting expectations. I think meeting expectations are very positive, actually, for 
for um, for stocks. You don't want a central banker or a central bank that goes against expectations. Uh, the only thing that really surprised me about the press release was that it was it was very short in the terms of the the statement. Um, was much shorter than it had been in the previous two times. It was just very bare bones and using many of the very same phrases that Bernanke used uh, last June. So basically saying the, the basic forces are there, it's just that the slowdown has arised, has, has now come. It's not just anticipated, it is here. We can afford to pause at least uh, one meeting uh, to, to assess the situation. Now, uh, the, the Fed release noted that some inflation risk remains. Uh, does this mean that the Fed could resume raising interest rates after this pause? Oh, most certainly. I mean, they, they, they would have to leave that door open. If they, if they closed that door and said we can afford you know, to, uh, not to raise for a long time, uh, the, the markets would get very worried that we have a central banker that's not concerned about inflation. When we see oil, you know, seventy-seven, seventy-eight dollars. Commodities are still very, very high. Um, the year-over-year increases in inflation don't look good. We talked a little bit about that in the last podcast. That uh, you know, you you uh, uh, that that might in fact happen. So clearly, he had to, he had to still be very alert. Uh, do notice, by the way, I, I should mention that there was a dissent. Uh, Jeffrey Larker from the Richmond Fed um, uh, wanted an increase, uh, 25 basis points. Um, uh, there were dissents in the early and middle years of Greenspan's 17-year tenure at the Federal Reserve. It's not all that unusual. Uh, so that's one thing the market saw. Uh, you know, dissents aren't all that common. So they saw one dissent in favor of a rise in rates. They knew there was controversy uh, at the meeting. Uh, and that if inflation does not cool off, that group that wanted higher rates could, uh, of course, become more powerful and eventually force the hand of the FOMC. Now, that's way down the road, but, uh, you know, a dissent in favor of raising rates probably raised an orange, if not a red flag of caution among some of the players in the market today. Had the vote been, say, five to four, would that be more dissent at that point? I mean, does it scale by how well, many people? Well, that would be, uh, that would really upset the market because uh, it means that uh, the, uh, the, the chairman could not get an overwhelming approval. Uh, there's one or two dissents is okay, no more than two. If it gets more than two, that's a very severe split and rarely happens. Right. So um, uh, that would have disturbed the market in the, in the sense that Bernanke could not get more of a majority uh, in his favor. One dissent is really not a problem. Right. Let's talk about the housing market, which is uh, obviously one of the big sufferers recently. Uh, new home sales, existing home sales, all going down. Uh, what, what's your take on what this will do to that? Well, that's, that's, the, that's the big question mark on the slowdown. It is coming down. It's it's It's... It's coming down pretty rapidly. Uh, what, what is actually interesting is, is the fact that uh, the, the long-term interest rates are, uh, are, are down, uh, down to a 490 on the 10-year, which means that the fixed-rate mortgages rates are actually beginning to ease a little bit. They're maybe a quarter, three-eighths of a point of, of where they were just four weeks ago. That might help prevent a hard landing on real estate. Commercial real estate, by the way, is still doing very good. And what I've been hearing among realtors is, is, yeah, buyers are disappearing, prices are soft, but a few of them told me they've never seen such a strong rental market, hmm. that people are essentially saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to wait 
and uh, the, uh, I'm going to rent in the meantime. Actually, there's a shortage of renters. Rentals are now going up actually relatively rapidly as prices went down. The opposite of the effect of what we had over the last three or four years, prices going up and rentals remaining relatively soft. So with the rental income very, very strong, commercial real estate is still very strong, um, that's going to moderate uh, the impact of housing uh, making a hard landing on the economy. The rental, is that just metropolis areas or is that across well, the that's board? Well, like um, that's what I've been hearing from the top realtors here in the Philadelphia area, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that also occurring in other major metropolitan areas. Right. Uh, let's look at the international situation. The most recent edition of The Economist had has an interesting analysis of central banking in the emerging economies and how interest rates everywhere have been going up. Uh, do you think uh, international central bankers are going to respond to the Fed's decision, or is that too premature to say? You know, there's always the feeling that there's more coordination among the central bankers than, in fact, there is. Uh, you often get when the ECB or the Bank of uh, England start raising rates rapidly, oh, wow, that the Fed is going to raise rates or that. Really, they act very independently. What we see in the emerging markets is the fact that they are still extremely strong. Uh, India, uh, China, um, uh, com- and again, commodities are very, very strong in, in price. So as a result, to contain those infl- inflationary pressures, I'm not surprised to see uh, that increase. We saw the ECB raise rates, the Bank of England raise rates. That was last week. One should remember that those rates are still under the Federal Reserve rate. The Federal Reserve is the highest of all major central banks in the world. That's rather unusual, but it does exist now. So Fed could afford to pause while other central banks are raising rates. Professor, let's shift gears to Alaska uh, and what's going on there with BP and Prudhoe Bay. Um, What's your take on that? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that obviously kind of knocked the market yesterday. I thought we'd probably have a a pretty good rise if it weren't for that. Uh, (laughs) You know, the market is so tight that any little bit of a disruption is, is, uh, is something that sends those prices higher. Let's just hope that other pipelines are not suffering the same corrosion problem. And that could be a major, major factor. We should also say, when we look at external events impacting uh, oil prices, on the favorable side, we've had a re- reduction in predictions of severe hurricanes in the Gulf and the Florida region, which is, uh, as we know from Katrina, capable of playing havoc with the energy markets. So, uh, you know, we're having some problems here with the pipelines here in uh, Alaska. We're having some good news, perhaps, on the hurricane front there. There's always going to be these events uh, net that's happening. And in a market that is so tight and so uh, nervous, uh, it's going uh, to react to any uh, of this information. Right. So with interest rates holding, uh, how do you advise market investors at this point? What's the strategy going forward? Well, my, my feeling is that the Mideast crisis um, and, and the premium it's putting in oil is, is probably holding the stock market back 5 to 10% at least. Uh, earnings came in beautifully in the second quarter. Um, the price earnings ratios are getting compressed with interest rates under 5%. Uh, it's it's a real strong bias towards stocks. Again, the risk is a real flare-up in Mideast, causing oil to go to 80, 90, or even 100 or more, as some people think. And uh, people are saying, I just don't want to commit a lot of funds there. If anything would improve in the Mideast, uh, you would get, I think, a big upward bump in, in the equity market. Professor Siegel, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having Take me. Take care. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.com dot
www.upenn.edu. Thank you.